Welcome to the Alien Wellness Think Tank podcast series. The Think Tank is an emergency medicine organization led by residents for residents to improve the culture of wellness during residency training. Take a listen to our conversations with our wellness strategists and mentors. Hi, everybody. I'm Matt Malamed, part of the Wellness Think Tank. Today, we're joined by Nicole Bataglioli, Glenn Pato, and Danielle Hart, who are all joining us to talk about um, a recent study they had published in WestGem. Thank you guys for joining me. If you want to tell us all a little bit about yourselves, that'd be great. Hey, so I'm Nicole Bataglioli. I am an APD at the University of Kentucky and work with Matt here at the Wellness Think Tank. And I'm Glenn Pato. I'm one of the uh, APDs at Hennepin County and, and also the medical director in the Sim Center. Great. And Danielle. I'm Danielle Hart. I'm the program director at Hennepin County Medical Center, uh, now called Hennepin Healthcare in Minneapolis. And uh, I was the medical director of the Simulation Center until Glenn recently took over for me. Fantastic. Well, thank you, everybody, all for joining us today. It's it's going to be a really interesting discussion, I think. So we had recently seen you guys had published in WestGem uh, a paper. Tell us a little bit more about it. So the our hospital actually had contracted with the group that ran the happiness practice, and they were doing their sessions for a bunch of different groups within the hospital. And they did their sessions for some of our executive leadership and some of our emergency department nurses. And they had some positive results from that. And so we thought, you know, let's see if this is helpful for our emergency medicine residents. Uh, And so we implemented their happiness practice, which consists of a series of six talks with some happy chats in between where people just kind of go out or meet at different hours and just talk about how things are going. This was not as well received by our residents as it had been by some of these other groups. And after the first or second session, the residents gave us feedback and said, you know, like these sessions are way too long. We can't tolerate an hour of this in our conference time because this is when we're supposed to be learning and learning stuff actually improves our wellness because we feel more competent when we go to work. And so we don't want an hour of our conference time taken up with kind of these what they called the happy ladies. And so we shortened those to 15 minutes, uh, which changed their intervention a bit. But that was kind of more in line with what our residents thought could potentially be useful for them. And the happiness practice worked well at other portions within the hospital, correct? Like they had worked well for the emergency medicine nurses who were there and which other departments? The other department that it worked well for, they did it for a group of executive leadership of the hospital as well. They were all over the place kind of doing it for various places. I know EMS had started to use them as well. Uh, But what we knew early on was that it was successful in those two areas before we decided to try it. Okay. So tried a session or two, found that it was just way too long, and then broke it down into 15-minute sessions. And that was spread across most of the year? It was. uh, There were six sessions. So it was one a month. And we ran it from September through February, so once a month. Now, in between each of those sessions, though, they would have what they called happiness chats, or they would actually, you know, a local restaurant or whatever, and get together and kind of had been going. Uh, they had been talking about during their their the didactic portion, um, and so we there was a couple of like small group led sessions like outside of work. Those were optional for the residents, and so uh, there was a little bit of stuff that was happening in between the the six major sessions that they ran. And follow up question, Danielle and Glenn, um, what topics? the facilitators cover during those one hour sessions? And how was it facilitated? Was it more lecture based? Did they do small groups during the lecture time? And then 
how do you feel like the way they facilitated their content impacted the residents' perception of what they were discussing, good or bad? So there are six sessions. The first one was an introductory session just to tell them kind of what the happiness practice was about. And then the following sessions had these topics. The first one was be conscious. The second one was honor feelings, like honor your own feelings. The third was release control in favor for empowerment. Four was co-create what works now. And five was learn life lessons. They only did the first one or two as the full hour. And after that, it was the 15 minutes. And so generally, it was them talking. They did try and engage the audience with a little bit of back and forth. But especially within those 15-minute sessions, there wasn't any time for small groups. So it was just them delivering content. And they were fairly engaging dynamic speakers in general, trying to kind of ask questions and get people to engage a little bit with the material. But it was, for the most part, one-way transmission of information. Yeah, I'd agree with Danielle. They were really dynamic and had great examples to back up a lot of the themes that they had chosen to highlight. And so the information that was uh, given was actually really nice. In between sessions as well, they would send out kind of reminder emails of like, these are the things that we talked about and these are the things to focus on while at work, kind of highlighting the themes that they went over during the, the didactic sessions. But yes, the first two were definitely a little bit more engaging in that after their didactic portion, there was a little bit of back and forth and a little bit of uh, sharing of experiences, but the subsequent four was much more limited and just uh, kind of one-way transmission, though the follow-up did happen, you know, over the weeks um, in between. So we know that sometimes with our resident learners, we have some difficulty getting buy-in when it comes to teaching topics that maybe they don't think are a part of their core content. And so getting buy-in can be hard sometimes, especially when you're trying to implement a new intervention. Had you guys done any prep or priming for the residents to try to increase buy-in with this project? And how did the facilitators, other than just trying to engage them directly with the back and forth, how did the facilitators try to get buy-in with the resident learners? Because we know that sometimes this can be this can be difficult to do, especially for outsiders. Yeah, that's a great question and a tricky one, as you mentioned, to get buy-in from all the learners. Well, we knew that there was definitely a needs gap uh, here. It was kind of right at the time where wellness and burnout mitigation were really popping up in, in emergency medicine. We did to kind of pilot a couple different wellness interventions in the program, just, you know, trial and error, trying to figure out what works for our program. And right around the same time, or probably a couple months before, we had already on this committee within the Department of Emergency Medicine. And so a lot of the the momentum and the, the is coming out of the wellness committee of saying, like, let's try things. Let's, the, the system that we have isn't working great. Can we fix it? There was a, a core group of residents who were open to the idea, all the value, and were motivated to at least try and engage with the topic. That being said, it's not, you know, it's a, it's a focus group of people that you're getting your needs analysis from. It's not a whole picture of what everyone might might want to do. And so as we introduced it, it kind of came out of the wellness committee. And then we introduced it at conference mentioning, you know, this, this is something we're thinking about doing. And it seemed to be like it would be reasonable to use conference time. Like, you know, this is the weekly uh, five-hour didactic block that EM residents are required to go to. So it's using that didactic time to actually deliver these soft skills, I guess, in, <laughs> that are necessary for emergency medicine. Yeah, I do think that early on, if I had to do this again, I would 
talk about, and granted, I think our residents overall feel like wellness and burnout is an important topic and something that we should be focusing on. But I think that I would do a little bit more promoting of it early on in terms of why this is useful, why this is a useful part of their curriculum, why it's just as important as some of the medical topics that we're covering for their long-term wellness in their career of emergency medicine. I think maybe setting some of that a little bit earlier may have uh, improved their engagement. I think another thing to consider would have been kind of co-teaching the sessions. So a lot of the feedback was how these people don't know anything about emergency medicine, and it would have been more useful if this was somewhat more emergency medicine or medicine focused and not just general. So I think that was kind of another barrier that they identified that perhaps early on we could have done a little bit of co-teaching to mitigate that barrier as well. So looking back at it, what aspects of burnout did you find within your program there that you really wanted to either attack or improve on when using the happiness practice? Like you looked and you said, you know, our residents are lacking in this or are high in this type of situation where either their their burnout is here or we're feeling that they're not getting X enough of this and we need to try and improve something like that. Any Any thoughts on that? Just to get a better sense of could other programs take the same happiness practice and apply it to their institution if they find that, hey, yeah, you, we have the same kind of issue that you guys may have? So I think that when we started this, we weren't, this was a couple of years ago that we did it. And so we weren't as sophisticated at understanding the different parts of wellness and burnout that the different aspects of it. And so, you know, we kind of had them do the MBI and they're like, well, I don't know, over like in all the categories, their numbers aren't very good. Um, and so we didn't really know where to start there. You know, they now if I had to do a needs assessment, I would be surveying them in different areas of burnout, right? Like, do you need more in kind of individual coping strategies or wellness strategies? Do you need more in kind of community or interconnectedness right? and asking about these different areas of wellness we weren't that sophisticated a couple of years ago when we started. And so we're like, I don't know, it's, you know, it, we need to help all of it. And so we tried to just pick a spot and start and kind of see what happened. So let's get into some of the results that you guys found. How did you assess whether or not this intervention was helping the state of burnout in your program? And what were some of the results? I know you kind of prefaced and mentioned that maybe this intervention didn't go super well. But what did you find at the end and as you went along? So to assess the efficacy of this program, we had the residents do a reactions level survey, which was just kind of like, you know, was this helpful to you? Did this improve your burnout? Um, and then we also had them fill out the uh, MBI, the Maslach Burnout Inventory, both before and after to have an objective measurement of their burnout to see if it did change it. And our results showed that their burnout levels, so this was from just before September when we started it to end of February, early March when it ended, their burnout scores did increase in pretty much emotional exhaustion and depersonalization. Personal accomplishment also increased, but that's reverse scored. So an increase in personal accomplishment is actually a good thing which is great because they feel like they're learning and getting better probably. And uh, they feel more accomplished as time goes on in their program. But in pretty much in all the classes, their emotional exhaustion and depersonalization scores got worse. The G3 scores, our third year class, we only had four people fill it out afterwards. So I'm not, that, that's probably not really great information. So focusing on the first and second years who had a decent number fill out the pre and post survey, their scores got worse in both of those domains. 
And they also essentially said that they didn't like the happiness practice. It did not improve their burnout in 43%. It made, said it made my burnout worse, uh, saying the happiness practice is what made their burnout worse. And it did not improve their overall wellness at all. Now, knowing that burnout does increase, at least from the literature that's out there, you get an increase from like time zero to six months, definitely, with interns. Uh, and then a lot of the studies after that find that it kind of plateaus. So we did expect, at least in the interns, there probably is a natural state of worsening burnout in that first six, nine months. And so the question is, like, did this intervention actually make it worse? Maybe it had a positive effect, but, you know, it just mitigated how much worse it got, or maybe it had no effect at all. And, you know, we're not really sure which of those things is the case because we didn't have kind of a control group that didn't get the happiness practice to, to see what that was. Yeah, and that's kind of the tricky thing in a lot of the wellness and burnout studies that people are doing. It's hard to isolate your intervention, your kind of small piece of the puzzle, and say, did this alone have any impact or effect on the group when, A, there's a lot of other factors that are going into it. B, as a program, we're constantly trying to improve and maybe have other programs going on. And so teasing that out may be a little bit challenging uh, in these groups. But I think what's important is the the qualitative comments that, that came out of the survey is you definitely get the sense that what's happening in the data and the numbers is actually happening in real life. All the qualitative data pointed towards this was not a very successful intervention and actually was frustrating and caused a lot of frustrations amongst the residents. So it was kind of a bummer because, you know, we're all looking for a quick fix, something to kind of help and make these wellness programs engaging and, and easy to employ. But it's, uh, and we, we thought we had something because it did work with other groups, but it turns out that there's a lot of things that we weren't expecting. And that, that really made this a, a challenging uh, intervention and one that ultimately didn't work. That makes sense. You look at it and you look at how can we fix or how can we do something? And you try and try and try again. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. If you could go back or from now forward, what would you like to do? Or what are some thoughts on some interventions that you either have in the works or are planning on thinking about doing for your residency program? Uh, well, I think one thing, specifically the program that was the most challenged, found it very hard to uh, relate with the people. It seemed like there was a disconnect between what they were experiencing at work and the frustrations of it being specifically emergency department resident or in residency in general, that it's hard to replicate or, or understand if you haven't yourself gone through the process or have a deep understanding of what it's like to, you know, uh, spend most of your 20s in school and medical school, and then in residency and working the hours and the weekends and the night and dealing with the emotional and physical exhaustion that comes with that. And so having uh, somebody who understands that, I think is maybe an area from which to begin thinking about systemic wellness interventions is who's actually delivering it and where are they coming from. Um, So I think that's one big takeaway that I had. Yeah, I think in terms of going forward, I mean, some other feedback I got from the residents, both, you know, that's in this article and kind of on the side is like, don't put these touchy feely things in conference. And, you know, there are a bunch of studies out there that say, you know, mindfulness in conference time works too, right? There's like pre and post and talking about how mindfulness is great. And I think, I think some of that is just based on the individual needs at your residency program. There may be some programs that this or the mindfulness stuff in conference would work great. Uh, And just hearing the feedback from our residents here, 
that doesn't sound like something that they're really interested in doing. They're like, you know, we'll do our own like individual personal wellness stuff on our own. Uh, I think if we were going to do something else like this or mindfulness, we would maybe make it like a afternoon evening session that's optional so that people who are interested in that could go to it and people who feel like their own individual wellness is best cultivated in a different way could kind of do something else. So we've kind of gone away from putting stuff like that into conference into looking at improving wellness in different areas or different ways. One of which, so I kind of think of wellness in a bunch of different buckets, right? There's your individual personal wellness. There's dealing with the hardships of medicine and emergency medicine. Like what do you do after you make a medical error or, you know, how do you deal with difficult patient cases? So we have some stuff that's optional in the evening focused on that, that people really like and find useful the community and interconnectedness we find is a really important thing. And I think for a lot of residency programs, and so we as a program try and facilitate just some outings for them so that they have time to do some bonding. I found that work environment is important. And so there's some papers out there about kind of having control over your work environment and having sustainable workload and psychological safety at work. And so we've done a lot with just identifying barriers and frustrations in the workplace to eliminate some of those to ultimately improve wellness. And the residents seem very appreciative of that. And they also said, we want to maximize our time away from work. So can we look at the scheduling to kind of block days off potentially, things like that, so that we can do our own personal wellness things on our own time and have time to do them. So We've taken those other four buckets and put more effort into those because it seems like after we've done more needs assessments after this, those seem to be more of the areas that our residents felt would be helpful to them. So looking back at at the study as well, you didn't choose to use the happiness practices own metrics for assessing their wellness because their white papers and some of their website stuff were, were referencing their own metrics and how much improvement they saw. Do you think had you used it, you may have seen different results? Or do you think despite that, you wouldn't have gotten much different? That's a good question. I would say the qualitative comments were fairly clear enough that the residents were really very happy with this, as well as just kind of the reactions level survey. My guess is we would have seen similar results, but of course, you can't know that for sure. And we did decide to use the MBI because that's what folks are using a lot out there in kind of the wellness burnout literature and medicine. And so we felt it was most appropriate to use one of these tools that is generally accepted. You know, their tool they've used and they say, you know, we've used this some, but it certainly doesn't have as much use or validity evidence behind it as the MBI does. I'm just curious, when you talk to the facilitators about changing the format from a one hour intervention to the 15 minute intervention, and maybe conveyed that um, the intervention wasn't being perceived as positively as you'd hoped. Did they have any thoughts as to why that might be? Or did they change their technique at all for the 15-minute interventions? Or did they have any kind of retrospective insight as to why maybe they weren't being perceived as well as they had been in some of the other groups in the hospital? So they were very open to change. They were great to work with because the whole time they were saying like, you know, we're going to try this and please give us feedback as you get it. And we're happy to change and adapt for whatever your group needs. And so they were super open to the feedback. They didn't necessarily at that time have thoughts about why they weren't being perceived as well. You know, I think residents are a very different group than all of the other groups they had worked with so far. You know, even the executive leadership team, some of them are physicians and some of them aren't. And I think there's a lot of different demands and stressors on residents that weren't necessarily part of 
these other groups that they had been working with so far. That that totally makes sense. I, I think, you know, looking at each residency program and looking at each individual resident, you tend to try and figure out what works best for everybody. And I don't, I, I think we've all tried doing something that someone else has tried and had some success with, but then we realize that it's not really one fits all kind of approach. And it's not even one fits all for within the residency versus between residencies. And it's become much more challenging outside of, hey, we're going to have you work less to be less burnt out. In essence, I, I think if you, know, if you anecdotally ask most residents what would make you less burnt out, a lot of them will tell you just work less. But whether or not that's the solution to everybody, I don't think is necessarily the case. And looking at it's the same thing with this, the happiness practice, it works for somebody who's in a C-level suite, who's dealing with some empowerment issues or, or some focus on, on their jobs. But as a resident, you're so much more in a kind of this role that is very well defined within the mechanism of where you are, right? You are always working with an attending physician. You're always having somebody else who, who will have a final say in what you do. That schedule is made for you. You are working nights, weekends, and holidays. And there are very few institutions and very few jobs out there that mirror the same and also have a culture that is this high stress, no failure, can't show your emotion sometimes, always need to succeed type of environment that we have. So trying to apply the happiness practice that I think it's one of the big challenges from, from me looking at the paper and listening to what you're describing it, it seems to be a, a big roadblock for most people to implement. And so looking in the future, I look at it and Nicole and I have had these discussions before is sometimes looking at what are some of the institutional things that you have made changes in that you think maybe other residency programs could replicate. Even as simple as, hey, we're going to give people a snack mid-shift, like almost, you know, recess time and here's some snacks for everybody and let's make sure you feel better, to is something substantially more progressive than that. Have you done anything that you've seen or have gotten feedback from your residents that has made a tremendous effect? I think personally, one of my favorite interventions is one that we do two or three times a year. And we call it Equilibrium Night. It's, it's loosely based off of, you know, the moth story hour or airway stories where we get together and people kind of get up on a mic and tell a story about a specific theme that we, we choose for that night. We've modified it such that we're now using pretty heavy themes and kind of challenges that come with emergency medicine. And we've made it kind of a safe space so that faculty and residents are both able to share stories and, and share kind of wisdom from experience or just frustrations without real answers about things that happen in emergency medicine. And uh, we've done it now I, probably like five or six times, Danielle, I think. And it's universally been well received. The format that we've settled on and seems to work well is where the first kind of 30 minutes or so is, is kind of large group discussion where somebody uh, puts out a story and then there may be a follow-up, you know, thoughts or commentary, but it's mostly just a couple people telling stories to the large group. And then we bring it back into small groups and let people kind of really chat about uh, what's going on or piggyback off of a theme that something that came up in somebody else's story. And there's food and there's drinks. It's a good chance uh, for, for people to feel connected, especially in areas where they often feel alone, uh, where you were dealing with a patient who was racist against you, uh, or you were dealing with something personally that it worked its way into, into your work life. And so in these areas where sometimes people can feel alone, it's really nice to hear that 
others around you that you look up to and that you work with have gone through similar situations. And so I think that in that social connectedness domain, this has really helped people realize, hey, we're all going through something similar. I'm not the only one feeling like this. That's one of my favorite interventions that we started about two or three years ago now. I think that example really highlights how an intervention that's based on what the residents refer to as just touchy-feely stuff can either be really successful, as in the example that you described, Glenn, where it's facilitated well, it's a little more social, you've created what you've what they consider a safe space, and they have a little more control and autonomy over what's going on, versus touchy-feely stuff, as they deemed it, that was being covered by the facilitators was maybe not contextually taken as well, um, and they didn't really like it as much. So even though the intent and maybe some of the content was similar, it really points out that the way something's presented and facilitated for that group of learners can make a huge difference uh, whether or not they think it's impactful or positive. Yeah, I agree. That's one of my favorite interventions that has been successful. I think the other one that I'm really happy about is kind of the work environment and giving them control over their own work environment. So essentially how I do this is it does create more work for me, um, but that's my job as a program director. And so pretty much every month at resident meeting, I ask them like, hey, what's frustrating you in the emergency department when you go to work every day? Like, what do you notice that's really irritating or frustrating or that's a roadblock or a barrier to getting your stuff done in the timeframe you think it should? And so they'll bring a ton of stuff up, right? Like the computer in this area is broken or there are no dental syringes in the dental room or this discharge process takes an hour to get the patient discharged or whatever. There's all sorts of things from big to small issues and really being able to have a forum where they can kind of bring those things and they can kind of see the changes, right? Sometimes they'll help on fixing the thing. Sometimes I'll just run with it and come up with a solution. And I think they really appreciate kind of having control over their workplace in that way. They identify things that are not going well that we can improve. And I think the less time they spend on shift running around looking for a dental syringe, for example, they can get their note done on that patient and then they don't have to stay as long after their shift to do their notes. And then they can leave and spend time with their friends or their family or go for a run or whatever it is that for them, their own per- helps their own personal wellness. So I think that's been another area bringing the residents into the system and ED operations in that way has also helped their wellness by decreasing their frustration on shift. I really like that. With regards to the institutional problems or the shift problems that they're running into, do you ever make them owners of it? Or do you much rather have them say, hey, just tell me and I'll take care of it? Because I see benefits in both. I see benefits in, hey, I'll just take on the headaches that you're having. Don't worry, we'll get it fixed. Versus I also see a benefit of the ownership of realizing what's wrong and also growing as a resident to say, hey, I can take this challenge on and I can make it better for all of us. And then maybe build a leadership kind of position out of that in the sense that I I take on these small, small tasks, even if it's as simple as, hey, are we getting more syringes here? I I did it when I was a resident. I did it with our suture cabinet. I looked at our suture cabinet. I was pulling my hair out to find 5.0 proline. And I just turned to my chairman at the time. and I was like, can I just fix this, please? And he said, yes. And I did. And I was very happy with it. And he was happy that somebody took it on and it just wasn't his headache. So I felt a sense of accomplishment while also getting something done that would make it better for everybody. So I, I wonder, do you have them do that or, or how do you style it? It depends on what the thing is. A lot of the things I end up taking on, 
sometimes if I try and sometimes I'll try and get a work group to work on something and we're able to do that through like our program evaluation committee. Uh, sometimes if there are big issues, we'll kind of take it to that committee and, and set up a work group to work on it. Sometimes when I throw it back at, to see if anyone wants to do it, like it's, you know, a room full of crickets. Um, and so then I just take those on. But the majority of them I just take on ones that seem like it's a good project, useful in some way, you know, QI related. Sometimes we'll get a group together or an individual who's interested in helping with that also or taking it on. It's amazing to me how long residents can go with a phone or a computer being completely busted in the resident room and everybody's frustrated and angry about it, but nobody tells anybody so it doesn't get fixed for months. And so this has been like a really um, nice intervention and it seems to uh, be making uh, a big difference in in the day-to-day work life of of residents. So it's been uh, fun to watch this. It's kind of borders on quality improvement. We're just not studying it, but uh, this is making work more efficient and your work life a little bit easier, um, how much it's helped uh, wellness and and, and burnout mitigation. I guess the, the one thing that we haven't stated kind of in general is that this is all possible because we kind of have a residency wellness committee and people that are actively thinking uh, and systematically approaching wellness interventions. Sometimes you have these like one-off projects here and there, and it's hard to keep a sustainable program going. So I think one of the most in the past couple of years is actually established a wellness committee with a group of people who are interested and want to keep pushing these interventions along. And it's been super helpful. So it's been a helpful way of framing everything. That's fantastic. Yeah. And I think that's probably somewhere if anybody's thinking about doing some sense of wellness intervention, be it burnout, be it resiliency, being it wellness improvement. I think having that core group of people, that wellness task force, that wellness committee, or even if you're personnel limited, that person who's really invested in taking something and moving forward with it and knowing that it may take six months, a year, or even two years sometimes to really implement change is going to make the biggest difference. And I think that's a good start. And then kind of finding what works best for your particular institution. But I really wanted to thank everybody for their time. I really appreciate your input and the study. And I think it adds value to us to understand what works for us sometimes, what doesn't work for us sometimes, and maybe what we can do either by institution or by resident or overall over the grander scheme of all of emergency medicine to kind of improve our wellness and our burnout. And that wraps up a great episode from the Wellness Think Tank. Special thanks to our exclusive sponsors, U.S. Acute Care Solutions. You can reach us also on Twitter at WellnessTT. Until next time, remember that residency training should be about thriving and not just surviving.